This episode of Dopey is brought to you by Oro Recovery, located in sunny Southern California, in Malibu, and Silver Lake. Oro was created by our friend Bob Forrest and his friends, Evan, Jared, and Bob. Their mission, to create a treatment that treats addicts and alcoholics with compassion and connection rather than control. They have many decades of experience in treating addiction and co-occurring mental health disorders, including severe mental illness. They make sure that your detox is as comfortable as possible, and they have amenities you wouldn't believe. Fucking equine therapy, sound bath meditation, the potentially spiritually transformative sweat lodge, and so much more. We have friends who have been there who all can't say enough good things about Oro, mostly if you're fucked and you're willing to get better and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California, we cannot recommend Oro enough. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by Evolution Accounting and Consulting. They are a full-service accounting firm that can help you with your taxes, bookkeeping, payroll, and almost any other business need you may have. Thanks to technology, they work with people from all over the country and pride themselves on building exceptionally strong relationships with their clients. They say that their passion allows you to pursue yours because they understand the stress caused by worrying about taxes and accounting issues. When you allow them to take this off your plate, you'll be freed up to focus on what you love to do. And perhaps more important than anything else, the firm is run by a fucking crackhead. Fortunately, he's been in recovery for years now and knows the struggle as well as the success. Use promo code DOPEY when you connect with them at www.evolution-accounting.com to receive special discounts. And before we get into the show, I want to mention Dopey Patreon. There's so much good shit at Dopey Patreon. Last week, me and my friend Jeremy, who's been on the show a million times, read a script that me and Todd wrote about copping in downtown LA. It's not like Death of a Salesman, but it's not bad. There's really good stuff in Dopey Patreon. It's just at www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast. If you subscribe to the $5 or more tier, you get access to the Dopey Patreon Zoom, which is Saturday night at 9.30, the last Saturday of every month at 9.30. Also, we have crazy good merchandise at dopeypodcast.com. We have the new Praying Mantis with Mushroom hoodie and t-shirt and long sleeve. Not to mention tons of other good shit. It's all made by SRO Printing. If you have printing that needs to be done, go to sroprinting.com. Maybe it's sroprint.com. It's sroprints.com for all printing needs. There's really good shit on there. I have so many hats and beanies and socks if you want any of that shit. Please message me and I will ship it out to you. Also, I need to put a message out there from the Dopey Nation Zoom. If you guys here, I'm going to read what they wrote. This is from, I I am a strong uh, believer and advocate for the Dopey Nation Zoom. Dopes, are you tired of your boring recovery routine and need a meeting? Are you searching for a new sangha? Are you lost in the doposphere and could benefit from connection? Look no further because Dopey Zoom is here for you. They hit the recovery hard and the butt plugs harder. 
Wow. There's 25 meetings a week led by dopes trying to get their shit together just like you and me. It doesn't matter if you're in NA, AA, no A, Dharma, the drunk tank, or detox. Dopey Zoom is here for you, celebrating two years at the end of March with a balls-to-the-walls marathon full of speakers, meditations, Wick the Rap God, mic dropping, games, and the second annual Dopey Zoom talent show. Find the schedule in the Dopey Nation Facebook group or on the ever-controversial Dopey Reddit. I will also put it on Instagram. The Zoom ID is always 804-300-586. The password is toodles, all lowercase. Go to Dopey Zoom. Go to the Patreon Zoom. Enough of the ads. Here's the fucking show. Hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. This is the first time we've ever tried to make a podcast and a YouTube video at the same time, which means I am joined by my special guest, Howard. Howie. What do you like better, Howard or I'm Howie? I'm the guest. Right now, yeah, for the intro. Oh, all right. How does it feel? It feels pretty good. I've never been a guest on anything before. Okay, well, what share? I feel okay. like I should hold the mic because I see people doing that when they're you, a guest. You've been uh, adjacent to Dopey for a couple of years now. Yeah. And for the past few months, you've been in the thick of it. Yeah. Why don't you share some of your observations with the Dopey Nation so far of your experience around the Dopesphere? Well, I appreciate you having me co-host. I think that's or, a stretch. <laughs> or, or whatever this is. Yes. Banter. Yes. My observations are that I I love the environment. I love the whole thing with the dopey nation. You like that. What do you know I like about it? it? Do, you, do, you, do you feel any contact with the dopey nation in any aspect of your life? Or even your, your virtual life, your online existence? Yeah, I think, well, some of the people that I've met through this. I like them. I like I like what I'm seeing, and I like that there's a community. And even though I don't connect with the subject matter directly because I don't have that that shared experience, I I I like that there's this very familial feeling. Are you not? I'm done. No, I'm, I'm done looking at the camera, and making. I want to see no. what this looked like. I'm with you. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's it. So I think you know. I, I also think, think you should be closer to the mic. I should be closer to the mic. I think you should I mean, be closer. The mic is right here. How? Fucking close. I want you a little bit right on the microphone. Now, yeah. If if the audience isn't aware, I've known Howie for I don't know 20, 25 years, twenty two, twenty three, something like that, give or take. And Howie, uh, some of the audience isn't familiar with your history around drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. So why don't you share your credentials? That you know (laughs) why you're on the show and all that. Uh. When's the last time you did heroin? <laughs> I've never done heroin. PCP? I've never done PCP. Meth? Meth. I've never done meth. Mushrooms? Never done mushrooms. Acid? I've never done acid. Do you smoke fat blunts? No. Do you smoke skinny blunts? No. So, have you ever done any mind or mood alterings? Have you ever had NyQuil? 
I must have. But how many times have you drank? Zero. How many times have you smoked weed? Zero. So what's your involvement <laughs> in this subject matter? Just so we're clear about this. I ha- I'm, I'm your friend. Yes. And I'm fascinated by the content. Yes. And the people. Yes. I have, I have kids. Yes. So it's particularly relevant because, you know, they're approaching an age where this might be an area that they get themselves into and I don't want them to. Mm-hmm. So I'm very interested in prevention. Nice. I'm also fascinated by recovery and redemption and the idea that someone could at any point in their life decide it's not worth it and I should, you know, change some things and get on a better path and have a healthier life. I think that's remarkable. Well, that's another significant part of our relationship. When Howie and I met, I was probably 24 and he was probably 22 or how old are you now? I'll be 45 this year. Yeah, so you were he was like 22, I was 24, yeah. and I was probably when we met, I was addicted to heroin right. at the very beginning. Huh? I didn't know that. But did you see me bomb out? Did you experience my decline at all? I'm trying to think. I don't think I knew that. No. I don't think I I don't think I recognize that at all. But then you didn't realize it when I was out of work and well, obviously, yeah, at that point, and fired yeah. and all I think that. I heard about it. Right. But I didn't know firsthand and not because I didn't have any interaction, but probably just because I didn't know what to look for. Just like, oh, I just I assumed you were always tired. Right. And you, but didn't I have like a bong in the edit room? Like I was always stoned and tired. Yeah. Well, the stone thing is, I mean, but that's, that I've seen. So that, that wasn't, I'm talking about heroin. So you Heron. just assume that I was checked out, sleepy, yeah. whatever. If, you don't, if you're, if you're not exposed to people who use drugs, you have no idea what's Unless going it's blatantly on. Blatantly obvious. You have no idea. I don't know. I didn't know what it looked like until Artie was on the Stern would, show. Would talk about it. Yeah. Openly on the Stern show. And then it was like, oh, he's not tired. He's nodding out. He's out of his ah, mind. Yeah. That's what it looks like. Yeah. Right. It was completely, I was a moron. Well, you were 22 and you've yeah. never smoked weed. Like, why would right. you know? Oh, it looks like he's nodding on heroin. Like, why would you yeah, know? I know that. You wouldn't know. But it's a pleasure to have you on board the team. A pleasure is all yours. It is. I'm very pleased. Uh, Howie's got a little setup over here. If you're watching it on YouTube, you can see a little bit of it. Why do you make yourself black and white and me in color in the video? Because this camera is shitty and it looks better in black and white. All right. Well, there you go. I want to tell, I have a, a little note I got and I have a funny story. What would you like to go into first? My funny story or my little note? I would like, what do you mean a little note? I got a little note, like on Instagram. Someone sent me a note. Oh, like, like a comment? It's a note, a, like direct, a direct message. message. What the fuck is a note? A direct message. Uh, got it. Go ahead. Let's hear that. I, okay. All right. On the 15th, uh-oh. On the 15th, the police came to my door and delivered the news. My ex-husband, who I was still connected to through friendship, overdosed in his residence. The podcast was the first thing I turned to for some reason or another, mostly to listen again to Dr. Gabor Mate, but also just to feel at home with people who don't judge or stigmatize. My ex-husband was so wild, creative, and impulsive that his legacy will always be alive. Uh, Rest in peace to Davin. His Instagram handle is Davin Ever Made It. And it sadly come to fruition. 
keep making dope ass dopey podcast toodle to Chris and now Davin. So we want to say we're sorry for your loss and happy that we could be a place that you turn to, but that's heavy duty, right? That person direct messaged you. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty heavy. See that you become like a go-to. Yeah. Go-to. Well, we are a beacon. We are a beacon for drug addicts in distress for lost souls using recovered in recovery normies adjacent folk what's like, nor- normie Am you're I a normie, normie. and his dog's name is norman right and it's like and, the amish call us english right well you're a normie somebody yeah. who doesn't use uh, is anything normie. but normie but i gotcha um and today we have a guest who is the most opposite of normie in the world if you're a dopey you know, nation regular or a dopey listener, if you've listened to all the episodes, then you know this guest. He was a lightning rod in the dopey nation. He wrote a book called Wasting Talents. His name is Ryan Leone. He's going to come on in a bit, but I want to tell Howie a little bit more. Oh, here he is. Is that him? There's Ryan. Okay, but before we bring on Ryan, I just want to say that this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Check out betterhelp.com slash dopey podcast. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Unload the stressors and get some unbiased feedback. You'd be pretty surprised at what you might gain from it. See if it's for you. Again, Dopey is sponsored by BetterHelp and Dopey Nation members get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash DopeyPodcast. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash DopeyPodcast. I've actually been back in therapy. It's really incredibly beneficial for me. Try BetterHelp.com today. Get the 10% off. And now, Howie, can you bring him in? Just bring him in? Yes. Okay. We have a return guest, one of my friends, one of my new friends. He's a fucking dopey legend author. He wrote this book, Wasted Talent, and his name is Ryan Leone. I'm so excited to have him. There he is. Ryan Leone, what's going on? Nice to see you again, Dave. Thanks for having me on. Dude, are you so impressed with the dopey fucking studio or Dude, what? Dude, yeah. No, right? no, the intro. The right? intro, though. That, that, was, that was badass. I was like, wow, that is really, really high quality. Now, the last... Thank you. The last time you were on the show, you, you fucking leveled the earth. You, you, you destroyed the universe <laughs> with your stories. And when... Uh, I'm just going to read a little... I mean, like, I just picked up the book and I started skimming through it and I saw this... And I'm just going to read a little bit um, and make him a little bit of beggar. And yeah, keep him keep him big in the frame. Uh, and this is just ran- this is how dopey this fucking book is. I just picked it up and opened to this. Um, we got on an old yellow school bus. There's jungle music on the stereo. I sit next to Angie and Chad, guy slobbering on a pacifier next to us. He's like really feeling the jungle. Blair sitting a couple rows ahead of us and the bus reeks of clove cigarettes. There's a girl with a staff shirt pacing the aisle. She has a clipboard and is writing stuff down. The bus starts and Chad asks me how I feel. Before I respond, he yells, how you feel? 
I simply suggest more special K. He says, nah. Bus calls for something even better. Blaze some Deemsters. Whatsters? DMT. You're going to love it. And this is just like, you know, in the middle of the book. Chad hunches down to his sock. He pulls out a translucent gram bag. We're sitting next to a hot Asian chick. Bloated pupils with the pierced labrea. Labria. Labria or labrea? Right. Is it labrea or labria? No, labrea. Labrea. Chad asks her if she's got a piece trying to match a bowl. I got DMT. And that's just one dopey passage from your dopey book in your incredibly crazy life. And I love this book, by the way. It's it's a great book. I have to say that before I say anything else. Thank um, you. Thank you yes. very much. Appreciate and uh, I met this kid recently who's, who's going to go to jail on fentanyl dealing. And I was, I'm giving him the book for his prison trip. Um, now, last you were on, at the end of the show, you were like, I'm messing with Kratom. I'm messing with weed. What's happened? Where? What's happened since the last time we talked on the show? Because we've talked off the show a bunch. When was that? That was, I want to say, like 18 months ago. Um, I don't, I don't know what happened. I know that, you know, like chronologically right after that, I'm not really sure, but I know that in January, um, I had, I was going on Brittany Furlong, Brittany Furland's podcast she's married to Tommy Lee. Um, and so they do it from their house. And I was like all excited to meet him because he's like one of my heroes. I love Molly crew. You know, I like grew up listening to it. And the night before the podcast, um, I went to go get my hair cut, and, um, the guy that was cutting my hair is a drug dealer. And I was like explaining to him that I was going to Tommy Lee's house. And he's like, here's a free gram of Coke. And he just gave me a free gram. And I relapsed on cocaine January last year mm. and just went on probably the worst relapse I can remember, at least in recent years. You know, I'm 36 now and I've been going for 20 years. This is probably the worst relapse I've had, you know, and I'm just barely coming back to earth right now. Did you get high with Tommy and Brittany or did you just get high before you went? No, you're, not just disclosing, high. you're not disclosing that information. He, he actually had a year sober. No um, way. At least, yeah, at least at least when I met him that that particular day. Wow. And, and so from where, where did the relapse go from there, from just the initial? First of all, when he gives you the gram, are you nervous? Are you like, this is going to fuck up all of this work? Because you're talking about a 20-year run. You're, I mean, like, I just read, like, a, a passage where these guys are at a rave. This book is full of fucking, you know heroin addiction withdrawal you know murder fuck and your life has been in and out of prison if anyone listened to the first ryan leone on dopey show they'll know so like when you're talking about 20 years into the addiction and you get a handle on it the barber gives you a gram of coke what are you thinking I don't, I mean, I'm one of those people where if I'm around drugs, I just absolutely can't say no to it. So I don't think I thought anything. I don't think I got nervous. I probably got like a little rumble in my stomach. You right. know? Like that's what happens when you, you know, right before you're going to relapse. 
And even if I hadn't done cocaine that night, I would have stayed up all night because I was so excited to go on the show. It's like when you're a little kid and you're going to Disneyland, you know, it's like you can't sleep the day before. Um, but by the time I showed up at their place, um, I think I'd already called the guy that gave me the haircut and asked for more. You know, I think I started binging out right there and then. Um, and I, you know, I got, I got maybe like a month of cocaine binging and then I stopped and then I relapsed again when I went on the Brett Easton Ellis podcast. It seems that like going on podcasts in person, at least, has, <laughs> you know, has, has triggered something with me. I don't know. We don't um, want this but, dopey experience to trigger anything. We want this to offer peace <laughs> and fucking tranquility and, and good stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, I... Like right around that time, I, you know, I was, I've been working on this, the Mickey Avalon book and, um, I started interviewing a lot of his friends. Now he's friends with a very wide array of, of humans. You know, you got friends with gangbangers from East LA, he's friends with Marilyn Manson, you know, it's like just a very, very, very wide, long spectrum of different people. And, um, one of the people that, he, because Mickey Avalon grew up um, in a tagging crew called CBS, Can't Be Stopped, probably one of the most infamous tagging crews in Hollywood. And it, it's really interesting. A lot of people that were in that crew, the lead singer of Crazy Town, um, Luke Wilson, the actor, um, uh, trying to think of other people. There's like a number of people that were in that crew that went on to be like recognizable people. Mickey Avalon being one of them. And I started going to this house, this huge mansion in partying. Um, it's the, if you saw the um, show that I did with Eddie Furlong and Nick Stahl, it was at that place. And for the first time in my life, you know, I've always had friends, but I've never had entire like groups of people accept me. That's one thing I never liked about AA it's like I felt like it was clicky or like, you know, I, I wouldn't automatically be accepted by everybody. This particular scene, I was accepted by everybody. And there was very interesting people there, you know, MMA fighters, um, actors, musicians. Um, you know, that's how I met suicidal tendencies. And I felt like I was on top of the world going to this house because I was in, I could go there whenever I wanted. And what happened is Karina my fiance knows that part of what I do is go out to network, you know? And I think that's part of the reason that I've been able to sell screenplays, you know, it's because I'm constantly, you know, nurturing my Rolodex, so to speak. And so she kind of like, let me do what I want, you know? And I slowly just start like going out. Now I have more freedom and I'm starting to do a lot of cocaine. And I go to Santa Barbara and the guy that I buy it from smokes crack. Um, I had a horrible crack problem when I was in my early twenties and I swore the shit off a while ago, but I go to get cocaine from him and it's in, it's in crack form. So I did it. And that was the beginning of the end for me. Um, you know, I, there's certain details I, I don't want to go in because this is my current storyline on Patreon and eventually it's going to get kicked 
out to YouTube. So I like, you know, I don't want to like spoil some of the crazy stuff that happened, but you know, I accidentally shot 60 hits of LSD. Well, hold um, up, hold up, hold up. First of all, <laughs> we, we have, we have to preserve the Patreon Patreon, but we also have to indulge the dopey nation and back up for a second. Cause you just said you injected 60 hits of liquid LSD. You were, you're snorting Coke. You're running around in this sort of very creative world. And most people are using or not using in the scene. I'd say the majority's not using, I'd say the majority's drinking, um, but they're chilled. But, you know, they're not like, like drug addicts. Just, no, just like any scene, especially in LA, there's always going to be the small, like, pocket demographic of cokeheads that you see kind of like herd into the bathroom together. Right. And you can always spot them at a party, you know, but it's not like overt, you know, the guy that was like hosting it, he certainly wasn't a druggie. Um, it was frowned upon by a lot of those people. So it was like, hush, hush. But you know, when you're a drug addict, you sniff out, no pun intended, you sniff out the people that are doing drugs. And so I was like part of this like subgroups. There I go, like forming my own clique, the thing that I'm against. And I was like kind of with the druggy people. Now with those people, they were into um, I am ketamine, you know, doing intramuscular ketamine infusions. I snorted ketamine maybe like two, three times in my life in high school. I never really liked it, but... I was going through a really bad depression. And I think a lot of that had to do with me smoking crack. You know, when my second kid was born, um, I had been up for days and I ended up like taking a handful of benzos, handful of gabapentin. And I was like falling asleep in the hospital at the point where the nurse is like, dude, go take a nap. And I was like, you know, and I don't want to be that guy that, misses out on his kid's life because I can't get it together as far as, you know, my addiction goes. So it started weighing on my, on my conscience and I started getting really depressed, you know, and I was like going from like coming down off the crack to, um, you know, being depressed, doing more crack. So I didn't have to think about anything. It was just on and on. Right. Um, and what ends up happening is I go, um, to my friend's house to buy a gram of ketamine. It comes in liquid, though, because they're doing it IM. So they mix it with this, like, special saline. I don't know what it is. That's the like, infusion? They a, infuse the ketamine with the saline and then they intramuscle it. That's interesting. It, it, it might not be saline, but it's some sort of, like, um, you know, unadulterated water, some purified. I don't know what it is. I think it's the same kind of thing that you use for, like, human growth hormone. And that's another thing. I was doing steroids at this point. We were talking um, a bunch I'm, in that period, but keep going. Yeah, I yeah we were. Um, you know, I was shooting HGH, um, testosterone. I was taking Anavol sublingually because uh, my friend works at Vanity Fair and was going to do a piece on me. And he's like, you think you can get a picture with your shirt off? Because I guess they thought it was like paradoxical to like uh be a literary guy but like also be a bad boy this is their words not like i don't look at myself that way don't judge i'm with you i'm with you the problem the problem was i was in horrible shape right and i was like and i i told the guy i was like hey i'm not what i was when i would do like my other spreads you know where like i had a six-pack and everything i'm not like that anymore i'm a dad now I, i could care less honestly um and 
So somebody had suggested, we'll just do a cycle of steroids and get it right back. And I did. It took a month and I was like, right back. But it had unintended consequences because I'm smoking crack on top of doing the steroids. And so it's just amplifying my depression. It was just so all encompassing because like I'm going through all these hormonal changes. Plus I'm coming down off drugs and like, it was just, it was really vicious. Plus, plus you had just had your second kid. I'm sure you're, you're feeling like, Oh God damn, I'm fucking this up. I'm I'm on crack. I'm I'm supposed to be this thing. Yeah. I'm sure the depression was, was intense. And then on top of that, you know, I do Patreon and YouTube. That's how I support my family. They're supporting clean and sober, Ryan, not crackhead Ryan. And it's not like I can be like, yeah, I've been smoking crack all day when I'm doing my daily monologues or whatever. And it became more and more obvious with my Patreon family and my YouTube subscribers that I was fucked up, you know, and people were calling me. I was like, no, 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 no. You know, coming up with every excuse in the book. Right. Um, And so I started doing these ketamine infusions because I was like, okay, this is going to cure, of course, injecting a drug is the answer. Like, I don't know. That's how my for depression. brain was. Was that the idea? For depression. Yeah, because that is something that's being used right yeah. now. You can go get ketamine infusions, but it's like insanely expensive. It's like $1,800 for an infusion or something nuts like that. And, and it's super regulated. They make sure the dose is precision and like they make sure exactly how, you know, how much ketamine you're getting. So, so keep right. going. I'm enjoying this story a lot. I'm sorry. So, um, and this is like the storyline that's going to be on Patreon. This is so fucking gnarly. I, I, um, I go and I buy a gram of ketamine and they put it in like, um, you know, the same kind of vial that you would get steroids in, you know, it's like you stick the, the needle in the little rubber neck thing or like, you know, so it doesn't barb the neat, the the point of the syringe. And I go and I grab that, and I also had LSD in the same um, type of thing. So I go back to my place, and I get a marker, and I write K on the ketamine and L on the LSD. Can I stop I you for a second, K. though? Hold up. <laughs> you're, you're basically... You know, living pseudo recovery, you wind up seeing the barber, you get the coke, you get on the crack, you decide you're depressed, you want the liquid ketamine infusion to deal with the depression. But where does the vial of the LSD come from? Like, when did you get it? Like, I love stories about vials of LSD. It just at some point, like, I'm the kind of guy, like, I don't know if you remember when we had like an LSD drought in the early 2000s. Um, <laughs> it was because this this bunker got busted in like, I think it was in Kansas. I was actually just with the guy that got busted. He got life in prison, but Obama pardoned him. And Seth Ferrante and I were interviewing him for Seth's documentary on LSD. It was very interesting to meet him in person. They said he manufactured enough LSD to dose the entire world twice. That's what it said on the indictment. Look up um, LSD asylum bust in Kansas. And you can read about this shit on um, Wikipedia. But, um, you know, when that drought happened, I'd always like, you know, abuse that stuff pretty regularly, or I did, you know, I'm trying not to do anything right now. Um, but whenever somebody would be, would have it, I'd take as much as I could afford or like, because I was like scared that we were going to go into a drought again and I wasn't going to have it. 
Um, and as I've gotten older, I use it more therapeutically than I used to. You know, I, I get insights from it. I don't recommend that to anyone. Um, this is just delusional shit that I thought was helping me, you know, when I was in the throes of addiction. And like, now that I'm lucid again, I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm 36. I probably shouldn't be dropping acid regularly. Well, you know? I, it makes um, me want to know, do you have some crazy cache of psychedelics? Like, is there like DMT and liquid LSD and peyote and some safe in some yard? Yes, and, uh, yes, there is. yes, but not at my house. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. Just making sure. This is not going to mm -hmm. help you in the long term, just so we're clear about this, by the way. Um, I know. And it's not a, it's not at my house. I would I, I like I'm petrified that like my kids to get into psychedelics or something. So like that's like one of my biggest fucking fears, you know, so it's just so everyone knows I don't have drugs here. Before um, before we get to the story. Also, I want to ask you something else. I want to make a proclamation. The thing about Ryan is that, first of all, you're an incredible writer and you're, and you're prolific and you're an incredible hustler and your heroes are these kinds of folks who take psychedelics and write, who, who go, you know, Hunter S Thompson, fucking Burroughs, like Bukowski, these kinds of people that go to the depths and come back with this piece. And I know that that's the cloth that you're cut from, but it gets me worried because you're actually bonafide. You're in that, in that arena, but like it gets so bad, right? You know, we'll get there. We'll get there. My point is that you're of that world. So the fact that you have this, uh, is it cachet or cash? What are you supposed to say? I don't know. Stockpile of, of, of psychedelics. I always wanted one, but when I got to total absence, I was like, I can't, what am I crazy? can't handle it. But anyway, you got the vial of liquid L and you got the vial yeah, of K. Yes. Yep. I was just, while we're talking about this though, now, you know, last time we didn't have video, but you, you made me, I want to show, you've never seen this. I want to show you something just well. I remember that is Hunter's cigarette holder that Johnny Depp gave me. Wow. And only Hunter Johnny and myself have smoked a cigarette out of this. Wow. And that is like one of my most prized possessions. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but, um, you know, I want to like, turn it into a chain. Yeah. Like, like, I don't think I should wear that every day, but no. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I want to show you that because that is like something I'm very proud of. That's one of my most prized possessions, you know? Um, and you're talking about Hunter, you know, I'm like an avid Hunter fan and Johnny, Hey man, you know, I'm, I'm passing the Gonzo torch to you, man. I was like, cool. <laughs> so <laughs> that's a good Johnny. Um, so let's get to the vial of the, of the shooting 60 hits by accident. So, um, I get in this gnarly fight with Karina, right? Who's my fiance. And I left this stuff up in Santa Barbara. Mm. You know, this is where I keep my drugs. She's down in LA. I don't know. Yeah, we just bought our first house, right? So we just got our first house. Most of our belongings are like in boxes. And um, we get in this fight and I take off. I'm tripping out. Like we're just like in this horrible argument. Uh, probably because had our son been born yet? See, like I'm still a little um, – I'm not as like sharp as I was before the 60 hits really, I had to go to the hospital. I'm going to get to it in a second. 
But um, I go up to Santa Barbara to go – I don't know what I was doing, but I was like so hysterical. I was like in this like this heightened hysteria that I was like I'm going to do a ketamine infusion to calm me down because they do calm me down. So you got to remember, not only did I do 60 hits of acid, but I did 60 hits of acid coming from a very dark place, trying to like come out of that. Like, I'm sure, you know, it, it was not the condition to do one hit of acid, let alone no. 60. So I go and I draw up 25 cents. Yeah, either 20 or 25 cents. I don't remember. Um, I usually do tw- between 20 and 30, but for the more calming, it's less, you know? For the more like, you know, where you get insights, the therapeutic stuff's like a higher dose. And then, of course, you can go into a K-hole, so you got to be careful. And I just stick it in my arm, you know, um, no vein. I'm just – this is muscular. It. It's better to do it like on your forearm where it's like shallow, right? Like that's where I've been taught to do it. Even though like I mean, if I'm in a muscle, I usually go in like my ass cheek or like, you know, up here. But I was told, do, do the forearms and don't rub it, you know, like just whatever. So I end up doing it and I peaked maybe within 20 seconds. Uh, you know, I started tripping this like crazy white light seemed to like just start like surfacing. I don't know how to describe it, but it like felt like it almost felt like the ground became the sky outside. Right. And it just started like like um like this light started like levitating it was, and I knew I fucked up and I'm like looking and I have different vials and I'm like, Oh my God. Like so I you have I the fear. You, you have the, the realization <laughs> that you hit the L before the L hits you. It's like, Oh, and then you're tripping and then you're like done. Right. No, 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 no. I had the realization after it kicked in. Yeah, no, it, it's, it wasn't like I shot up and then I was like, Oh wait, th- I did the wrong thing. Because remember, I had marked these vials. I put K and L. So I didn't think that. But when I started, when this white light started rising, I was like, ketamine doesn't do that. I'm, I'm fucked, you know? Like, I think I, and, and I didn't know how much I'd shot either. Like, I, you know, I couldn't like estimate how many hits that was or whatever. I, I think it was 25 cents. Later, we would go back and we'd do a drip test and the vial has a hundred hits. There was only um, 40 of them left. So we knew that, that I'd done 60. So what happened past that point, the white light, like it almost felt like I was being tucked into this light. Like it was a blanket and I like walked into it. And what happened next is up for debate. Right. But what ends up happening is I go on a road trip and I go and I think I pick up, Karina and the kids, but I didn't. And I keep going and I, I wind up in this small town, like I'm driving on, on, under the influence of 60 hits of LSD. Before this, um, I may have taken 10 at a time, you know, which was like always really heavy. What was the um, most you ever when, took? 10, you think? Well, um, when I was selling it, we would get it in crystal form. And we would do thumbprints, right? Uh, because when you get a gram of LSD, it's like comes. In, it almost looks like um, uh, water softener salt pellets, or um, you know, almost like crystal meth. It's like comes in this like kind of like murky whitish 
you know, pebble, and that's a gram. And what you can do is get your thumb and stick your thumb on it, and there's so much LSD because it's in a crystal form, the crystalline or whatever, that it seeps through the pores of your thumb, and I would trip for like two or three days. Right. I don't know how many hits that would be. A lot. Probably something comparable to what I did, but I don't talk to my girl this whole time, right? Like, I'm just tripping the fuck out, and um, I make it to this town. By the way, I don't really remember picking them up. Like, it's the kind of thing where, like, when I think back on this, it's, like, fragmentary of what I remember and what I don't. But, I re- like, at some point, I'm with them, and we're in this town called Rialto, California, uh, which is, like, this, like, shithole by San Bernardino. My celly from when I did my state prison term is there. My other celly from the feds, the South Sider named Chenny, he's there. They were really there, right? And right as I'm like meeting up with them, I go to say something to Karina in the back seat. And I realize there's nobody there. And I'm like, like it was like such vivid hallucinations that I had forgotten that I was tripping in the first place. And I was like, oh my God. Like, I, and at that point, I didn't know what was real and what wasn't real. And I saw um, I saw my old cellies. They saw the condition I was in. Um, somebody, somebody fucking died. Um, like, we heard this loud noise. Bah! And there was just a dead body laying in the middle of the road in Rialto when I was with Jenny. Some pedestrian got hit by a car laying in a pool of blood in the middle of the street. I don't even know. I like, I'm like, is this real? Like it was like just so coincidental that that happened, but that really happened. And eventually, um, you know, I, I get lucid to a point, like, I don't even know how I'm interacting with motels at this point. Like I'm so out of my mind, but I'm renting a little teepee motel it literally looks like teepees, the rooms in Rialto. Like you can Google it, Teepee Hotel, Rialto, California. You see a picture, the rooms look like teepees and they're spread out. And I'm like, and my celly sees me, he's like, Jesus Christ, dude. I'm like living in this teepee, right? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it, was, it was so wild. And eventually I get clear enough where I can, um, where I can explain to Karina. How long does it happened. take to get a little bit of clarity? Like three or four days, man. right? And and and, and you I have to admit, it, it, she it, it's so fear and loathing. You know what I mean? It's so like you're off and running, hallucinating people, waking up in TPs, coming. It's like it's 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 in, that's like a crazy fucking story. And that's like the tip of the iceberg of this last eighteen month period. What did she say? Oh yeah. That, that wasn't, that wasn't shit. You know, <laughs> what did that's she just say? kind of how it started. Um, well, she, I mean, first of all, she was very concerned because, of course. you know, I'm the kind of drug addict that, um, she wasn't, she didn't know about the ass at first, but when I finally got a hold of her, she was crying because she thought that, um, she thought something had happened to me. I'm not the kind of drug addict to disappear. You know, in all my years of addiction, I'm not the kind of guy that disappears. You come I at home. Least check in with people. Yeah. yeah, I come home. That's my MO, right? So she thought I died. You know, I mean, it's a pretty high probability that that could happen. And when I told her what had happened, she starts freaking out. 
She's like, oh my God, like you might never be normal again. Right. You know, and she's like, you're already not normal. Yeah, like you were normal before. (laughs) That's God. And I'm still doing steroids on top of it. And oh, and then somehow I got a bunch of meth. Like in the midst of this, I think someone gave it to me and I'm just eating it, you know? And um, like I didn't have a pipe or anything, so I'm just eating it. And I didn't um, have any syringes. And so she, she, by the time she sees me, I'm so fucked up on the acid. And then I think the meth kind of kept it going, you know? Yeah. Um, she's like, you got to go to the hospital. Um, and so, you know, like her family got involved. It was like really, um, it was fear and loathing, although there's real life consequences with it, you know? Um, and like, it really scared her. It really scared her family. They took me to the hospital. I was able to explain to the doctor what happened. They didn't believe me, you know, and I was just like, you know, they drug tested me. I come back dirty for meth and they're like, okay, well you're on meth, but you know, there's no way to test for LSD. We're just going to take your word for it. Do you want us to, to give you the charcoal thing? Um, and at that point, it's not, that's not going to help me. You know, it's like, basically I had a standard observation. Um, they, you know, they, they got me hooked up, um, started pumping me full of the saline, uh, other stuff. Like they were giving me benzos and stuff or, uh, barbiturates. They were giving me female, phenyl barbitrol or something. Phenyl barbitrol. Yeah. 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 Is that what it's called? Mm -hmm. Um, they were giving, they were giving me that and like trying to bring me back to earth and, I remember one day I was like, so then they like brought me to like a psych ward to get evaluated. And I remember one day I just woke up and I wasn't tripping anymore. I was like, Oh my, thank God. I mean, I thought that this was going to last forever. And there, there has been residual effects. Now, when that happened, Karina left me. You know, that was in, and she got a lot of pressure from her family. They're I'm like, sure. you can't be with, with somebody that's, that's the, like, you know, the kids deserve better, which is absolutely true. I don't blame them. It's coming from like a place that I would want, you know, it's like, um, hold on. It froze up a little bit. You're good on this end. Okay. Um, and so she leaves me and around this time dude you just cracked your neck and it sounded like bones were breaking that was serious neck crack probably it's probably like lsd yeah a little lsd was exploding into the capillaries (laughs) of your neck just now but keep going Um, so yeah so so she so she left me and um i got really suicidal you know like um so i decided to kill myself again and I went downtown LA and scored heroin and relapsed on heroin. And that's how that happened. It was right after that. Where did you go? Um, you went to like whatever, Sixth Street and Spring or some shit, or you went further east? What'd you do? Sixth and San Pedro. Yeah. I can't believe that spot just exists for, for 20 years. Huh? Yeah. I said for all the listeners, don't go. Uh, don't go to Sixth and San Pedro. Um, and so that started like a four month period of me. I have footage of when I shot the LSD, by the way. Um, you know, and it's, it's save that gnarly. for Patreon. Are you gonna <laughs> save that for Patreon, or are we gonna yeah, use it, that? It's already on Patreon. All right, um, it's on the twenty dollars tier on Patreon. But so um, then I start doing heroin, 
Um, I, I don't kill myself. I just get the heroin. I start doing it. And this starts the cycle of me going in and out of rehabs over the last four months. Uh, not even rehabs, detoxes and like me walking out and then like I'll get sober for like two days and then like I'll go back out. And what, what happened is, you know, um, how, wait, hold up. How long was the dope run? Four months. Okay. And as soon as you, you did it once, you're just like, I'm doing this now. I'm done. I'm done. Right. You know, I do it once. I'm like, Oh, all right. I'm a heroin addict again. Cool. Right. That's it. This is like, in, you know, I'm either going to go to jail or I'm going to go to rehab or, you know, whatever. Um, and I just stopped working, by the way. I stopped. <laughs> I sold the screenplay. I think I told you right yeah. when it had happened. I got this fat chunk of cash, thankfully. And it just like, I didn't have to work anymore. I was like, fuck it, like whatever, you know, um, I can live off this for a long time. And which I'm not saying is, is like, I felt really bad that I just like, disappeared on people that were supporting me on Patreon and YouTube. But honestly, I wasn't in, it was affecting my mental health. If you you were doing Patreon about being a recovering addict and you're on dope and crack, it wouldn't have been good. It would only have been good if it was a Patreon on being high on dope and crack. Otherwise it's going to the Patreon, the page, the Patreon people were like, who cares? Like just tell stories. We don't care if you're on drugs or not. Just put out content. I couldn't, I lost the, I like, I just like, I was in a place where I couldn't do it. My mom, you know, started getting really bad with her dementia again. We had to put her in an institution, just things were going bad. And, Mm. and, um, what happened at the end, this is like the cliff notes, but like all sorts of wild shit happened. I was hospitalized several times for abscesses. And, um, the last month of my addiction, I got into fentanyl and that's when things got really scary. You know, that's when my dad, my girl, that's when there was an intervention and they were like, look, like, like, this is it, you know, like it, it, you're a ticking time bomb with fentanyl. They, they read all the stuff that's in the newspapers. Um, and I don't blame them. I guess I don't even know, but I'd be on fentanyl and, you know, Karina would find me in my driveway passed out at the steering wheel or she'd find me laying down in the kitchen on the kitchen floor or the bathroom. And it's like, what does that do to children? You know, I can't, I can't continue this shit. And, um, you know, I, then like I would, I self inducted on Suboxone probably nine or 10 times, um, you know, throughout this journey. And then finally I was just like, you know, I'm going to go to the methadone clinic, you know, because it's so with these like new Chinese analogs for fentanyl with the cartel manufactured fentanyl. You know, it's not like what we were used to doing back in the day, back when you were out there, where like you get a patch and you can cook it into powder or whatever, like you get the gel. It's not that is not what this is. This is a research chemical designer drug that is synthesized by cartels or by Chinese scientists with the pure intention of making it an abusable narcotic. And what happens, it's the, it's weird, you know, like they'll say on the news, they'll be like, all right, a grain will get you, a granule will get you high. Two granules will kill you. Right. I, I don't know if that's true, but what I do know is that, you know, it comes in powder form. It's a hell of a lot more than a granule that, you know, I'm smoking pebbles that are this big. It's in, 
you just get addicted to smoking this shit all day, every day. And it got me off the needle. So I was like, oh, I'm doing great. You know, I mean, people still, still kind of give you bad looks if you're smoking off tinfoil, you know, but, um, it, it, it like had gotten me off that, the needle trip, like all my, and th- the people are so weird about it. Like a lot of my friends will not sell me fentanyl because they know that I'm the kind of addict that'll just die. Wait, let me um, ask you, I have a really, couple questions. I have a couple questions. First question is as someone who like, when I did dope, the only fentanyl that was available were in the analgesic uh, packs or the lollipops and there was no fentanyl around. So as someone who reads about fentanyl and hears stories, I'm hearing that fentanyl's in the Coke and fentanyl's in the tar and fentanyl's in it. It's not what you think. Yeah. It's not that that's, that was my point. It's not, I I know that you, um, you know, have been sober, what, eight years now? Six. Coming up on eight years? It's coming up on seven. Six. six, That's enough time though, where you've been away from it. This shit wasn't around when you were out there. So, I know exactly what you think when you read about it. You're like, oh, yeah, fentanyl. I remember the lollipops or I remember yeah, the patches or whatever. It's not what this is. This is a totally new drug. But it's, it's not totally It's not up. in the tar on La Brea, on, on Six and San Pedro or whatever. It's not – they're not putting fentanyl in the, in the tar downtown is what you're saying. No, I'm sure they are. I mean, when I was out there on this last run, I had like, you know, four or five connections that I was using that, that – kind of like butted up after my relapse, you know, you know, you meet yeah. people along yeah. the way, whatever. Totally. So I bought some fentanyl test kits off Amazon and I'd start testing the dope. It never came back that I was doing tar with fentanyl in it. Right. But a couple times like people be smoking fentanyl and I hate smoking heroin. So they'd be like, here, you want some? And I was like, no, nah, I'm good. And then I tried it. Didn't really like it tried it again it was whatever and the third time it just got its fucking hooks on me and And i'm telling you man this stuff is so much more addicting than heroin so when you do it so like you're doing the tar you're shooting the tar you're shooting the tar and you have friends that are smoking the fent and you're like i'll give it a try and it hit how does it hit you differently than shooting the dope it's not like crack but it's kind of like crack in the sense that like I smoke it like I take a hit and I like pace around for a minute and then I come take another hit and it, it hits you, you know, in a way that it, it makes you very tired. Um, it's rough on the stomach. It doesn't have as much euphoria as heroin, but it's much stronger and you get a much bigger bang for your buck. I mean, at the end I was doing a gram of it a day but I was doing three grams of heroin, a black tar before that. Right. So like you're saving um, money on and it. And yeah, yeah. A gram of heroin, you know, I get three grams for one eighty. I get three grams of fentanyl for one fifty. So it was like it, it was cheaper and I was like and so I started doing it and that was the that was it. That was like where my where Trina and my dad were like, That's it. Like you use again, you lose your family. You know, you know, I lose my dad being in my life at all. You know, he won't talk. To, he won't even talk to me on the phone. How did how did they know you had just, switched from tar to fentanyl? I'm very honest with them. You know, um, and and also, you know, when I was using, um, like if I was at my dad's house using, 
I don't use by myself or I wasn't in the, you know, in the beginning. Um, if I did a shot of heroin, I would give Narcan to my dad or to my girl and be like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to do a shot right now. Come check on me in like 10 minutes. Every sure time. I'm okay. If I'm not. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Did but they ever have to Narcan you? No. Well, they didn't, but I was Narcaned twice in the four month run. And, and how scared were you when you, when you switched to fentanyl, were you scared at all? Or were you like, whatever, it's all the same thing to me. I was pretty scared because of all the hype around it. Um, you know, like my buddy took a hit of it recently, took a hit and was like, got distracted. So he kept it in fucking went out. He kept it in for like 20 seconds, went right out. Bam. Um, and yeah, my other friends had to give him CPR and everything. Um, and then, you know, there's people that say that have told me that Narcan doesn't work on, on fentanyl, you know, like it's so, it's so strong that Narcan sometimes doesn't work. Like my buddy just OD'd recently and they had to use two, uh, Narcan spray hits on him, you know, um, two different bottles. I think each bottle has like two hits in it. Um, and yeah, I OD'd off it twice snorting it. This was back in um, the uh, when I went to film for my documentary in the Midwest. Um, I relapsed out there, and when I came back to LA, I was still relapsed. And uh, that was my first little mini relapse with opiates. Um, that was like in the beginning of the summer, you know, like I'd say June. And, uh, I went to go buy heroin from my connection and he's like, I just have fentanyl. And I was like, okay, cool. Can I get a rig? You know, I was asking for a needle and he's like, oh, there's no needles with this. Right. I was like, what do you mean? And they were like all these like essay dudes at his house on the couch. And they're laughing at me. They're like, no, you can't shoot this, bro. I was like, huh? Like, what do you mean? Cause I used to shoot the patch fentanyl. You right. know what I mean? Like, I was like, this isn't shit. I swear, dude, I did a like the littlest bump you could imagine. Snorted it because I was I was sick at the time. Not only did I get well instantly, but I started turning blue. Like, right. I almost went out right there, and right. then I went out twice in a week off that stuff. So I what, stayed in my friend's house, and she had an Arcami two different times. What was the thing that got you from this run? to the methadone like what was it like was it your father being like that's it like how many times in your life has your father said that's it never really really because like i've seen he's I mean, that like, scared of fentanyl yeah tell us about it because i know your dad is like a fucking upright dude you know he reminds me of my dad i've seen footage of him in, in the dock he he stands by you he loves you so like i'm surprised it took this for him to be like what what changed for him is it because your mom's sick which yeah yeah yep their dog just died my mom's in an institution he's all by himself he has to put serious boundaries up right so that like, I don't think his heart could take if I died right now. Right. And I'm telling you, it's like a real possibility um, <laughs> because this fentanyl stuff is just so, it's so much different. 
than any drug I've ever been hooked on. It like you, there's so many different types of it. There's so much weird shit going on. You know, I've heard stories where people are doing it every day. Same tolerance, same tolerance, take a hit, go right up, bam. You know, people are crashing cars on it. It's just like, it's, I mean, everybody looks like they're on the walking dead. Like, you know, they're like, oh, you know, at least I'm off the needle now. But it's like, it's really, have you seen the documentary uh, Methadonia about methadone in New York? I've seen bits of it. Yeah where they were essentially turning people into like methadone zombies. Yeah. 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 Just like, you know, um, I have to watch that whole thing. I I love methadonia. Anyway, continue. Yeah. At least to the people I know, everybody's like, but okay. When I would do it, I could not function. I couldn't like, we could, we certainly couldn't have a conversation when I'm on it. Like I'm just sleeping all day, all day, every day, wake up, take a hit, Pass around, take another hit until I'm passed out again. A lot of times it was in the middle of my bathroom floor or like, um, you know, my, my in-laws came to stay with me. Um, even though we're not officially married, but my girl's parents and they came to stay because I was going into rehab for a month. I lasted two days, right? I got in a fist fight at this detox. Um, and, uh, and so I left because I didn't want to get charges pressed against me. Um, that's a whole nother story. What but did you get into the fight um, about in the detox? So this detox I went to is like state run garbage ass. What's it called? Program. It's called impact. Chris went there, but keep lot, going. Yeah. A lot of rock stars have gone there. It's like a really hardcore program with a high success rate. Right. Yeah. Um, I go there this is back when I was just on heroin, not on fentanyl. And, um, uh, or no, no, no. I'm just, I, I, I'm just starting to like dabble with both a little bit. And, um, I go to this place and they give you two milligrams of subutex after 20 hours. They give you one hit or like one, one hit. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm a dope fiend. One Ativan Dose, right. as comfort meds, right? clonidine and then they give you two milligrams of subutex it was not helping me i was kicking Sick. balls like i'm like I, yeah i'm shitting and puking it's coming out on both ends i'm like yo you need to give me a higher dose this is like what the fuck i feel like i'm in county jail right now what's up like this is supposed to be a detox they didn't even take your vitals at this place like that's how ghetto it was right like, they don't even take your, your vitals right and so the only thing that would make me feel better is curling up in a ball and taking a shower for hours, literally hours at a time. Right. And it's the kind of place where there's a bathroom in the middle and there's like six bunk beds on this side and with the room, this room has six bunk beds and you guys share the bathroom. Well, I take a shower from like 10 PM to like 3 AM and I'm just laying, I'm there's probably sperm and shit like on the drain. I don't even care, bro. I'm like, passed out on the drain and the guy that's sitting the, the guy that's in the room next to me is a south sider it's it's a, it's like five or six south siders but they're like in their early 20s they they hey dog you need to get out of the shower fool i need to take a shit on me and i'm like nah <laughs> i was like i don't even care if you shit like i'm not getting out hey fool you're being disrespectful dog 
hey, you're going to get mollywopped, dog. I'm like, whatever, you know? I just lay there. I'm butt naked, right? Curled up in a ball. And all of a sudden, this this um, this foot comes, like, in the curtain, hits me in the head. I'm like, what the fuck? And I, like, get up. I'm naked. My little dick is just, like, chilling right there. Yes. And I, like, run into the room, and I'm like, what? I was like, who kicks a dude when they're naked laying down? Who did that? And, like... It like the little like the most oompa loompa fucking dude that was there. This little like munchkin. I did it, dog. What's up? And I was like, what? And I just I'm naked. I square up with them, and we start boxing. And this dude curls. He's like, like I hit him one. T- I don't think he expected that I could fight, you know. And I was just like, I was dope sick, but I was so angry. Right. Like, just ugh, all the everything I was feeling just came out in that fight. And, um, and yeah, I beat the fucking brakes off him, you know, and, um, I'm not even like a violent guy, but well, you hit your breaking point. You were in the, you were in the only place that you were going to get comfort in that place, which is a hot shower on the ground and he fucked with you. So I, I, and I've never, I've never beaten the brakes off anybody, but I can relate to this story. Definitely. Now what I want to know, what are you going to say? Yeah, go ahead. No, please. No, I, I was gonna say I I haven't I hadn't gotten in a fight for years, man. And then like, but goddamn, like my girl like was had just left me, and um, you know. But what I was gonna say, just to conclude this, the whole point of how I got on this tangent was I came back to my girl to our house, right? And um, she's there with her. She's at my place, our place, with her parents, and. I just show up with my suitcases. I'd already relapsed on heroin. My connection picked me up, right? And um, there, it was so awkward living at my house with them for a month, right? Like, this is my place that I bought, and they're, like, kind of bossing me around, you know? And I was, like, I started getting, like, I don't know, like, in my feelings a little bit. And that's when I started doing more fentanyl. And it was so awkward because – I would just be laying in the middle of like the kitchen floor at like three in the morning with like Oreos next to me. And I just pass out. Cause that's when I started really doing more fentanyl. Right. It was just a mess. Dude, yeah. You know, but so, anyway. so when you get to the end of it and your mother-in-law, or your father-in-law finds you and they're like, Karina, how can you be with this dude? But they love your kids. And they, I mean, it's obvious how much you love your kids and how much you love Karina. What was the emotional switch because I can tell you're trying. I, I talked to you many times in many different conditions, and I can tell you're trying. What was the emotional switch that you were like, fuck, I need to make a real change? Probably like when I felt the threat of her taking my kids from me and right. her, you know, like not to discount her and how much I care about her. When they and, and also I had professional colleagues that were like, I can't work with you if you're going to keep being a dope fiend, you're a liability. Um, you know, um, but I think once I felt in my heart that she wasn't bluffing, that she was going to, that her and my dad were like going to cut me off. And in my mind, I knew that that would kill me, literally, like on a literal level, if my kids get taken, that's it. I, right. I have but I, it's not true. We I, talked about that too. Cause you're not, you're going to rise to the occasion. Like I, 
Everyone, I hear a lot of people are like, Ryan Leone's going to die. I'm like, no, I don't think so. I think he's going to rise to the occasion. Jesus Christ. There's a death pool out on you, Ryan. I am not in the death pool for you. But listen, like when you are in the, in the, in the path of, uh, you know, of great literary luminaries and you've gotten a ton of praise and your work is great. And there's your new book is called antiheroes and it's coming out in March and I'm excited for it. And I'm sure there's a ton of people that are excited for it. But what I want to know is how difficult is it to be this antihero, this outlaw, this junkie writer, you know, this literary luminary outcast, like going down hardcore and then like everyone's like you have to be clean do you worry about keeping up with the idea the image the or even that path like are you worried that you're not going to be able to do it or who will you be if you're not that uh this that's a great question and it's a very valid um you know um it's a very valid concern for me i yeah i you know most a lot of people hear me and they're like, there's no way that what this guy says can be true. There's just no way. Like, it's just, it's too extreme in so many different directions. You're not shooting 60 hits of acid and selling a screenplay. It just, that does, that's, to most people, unless you know me, people that you know me, other people, if you know me, you know that what I'm saying is true. Like, I just get in all these fucking horrible situations, but I just go balls to the wall. You're relentless. And, uh, You're relentless in everything. And you will not. And you, even if you don't sell the screenplay, you're going to come out of the fucking sewer with a story that's better than the screenplay. That's just how you, you fucking go. are. But, but to answer your question, I, you know, with Hunter, you know, Hunter's like a big idol of mine, just probably because I like identify with the mania of him and like, like, uh, you know, but the thing is, is that's an image, right? Like when I do videos on YouTube, that is an image. Like, yes, it's me. And yes, these stories actually happen, but I'm basically a caricature of myself, just like he was. It's like gonzo storytelling, right? And not to say that things are embellished, but a lot of like voices, you know, like, if I give like uh, one of my characters an idiosyncratic thing, you know, there's like a character Tom. Well, I may, you know, like I have these like characters that I make up. Um, I would not make up, but like I give them like one-liners and stuff that they didn't really say in real life, but it illustrates exactly what kind of person they are because it makes you remember them. It's just a mechanism for storytelling. Now, looking at at Hunter, who had a larger-than-life persona. Charles Bukowski, William S. Burroughs, people that I've looked up to. Um, yes, I often am concerned that I'm going to buy into my own illusion. Right. That's what Seth always tells me. Seth Ferrante, the director of the doc, he always tells me, don't buy into your own illusion. Do you know, you can be that person, but when you go home at night and you're with your family, you put that person aside and you're your true self. Don't buy into the, you know, the the larger than life shit. You know, once you start believing that, it's a death sentence. Right. And I think that's what happened with Hunter. And also, I don't want my um, creative work to be eclipsed by um, your death. You know, by by my no, by by 
just having a crazy life. I think a lot of people are Hunter S. Thompson fans that have never even fucking read a Hunter book. They're just like so drawn to this outlaw lifestyle and they think it's so cool because it's very rare to have a writer that doesn't look like a child molester. You know, most authors are like with their turtlenecks and bug eyes and shit. And to have authors that actually have lived what they're writing about. I found that when I got into the literary world, a lot of crime authors, so to speak, didn't like me when I came into the scene and like, but horror writers would, or like literary writers would, you know? Um, and I was getting praise from like my biggest heroes, but then the like guys that were trying to make it in the crime writing world just didn't like me. And I finally realized that they were threatened by me because they're writing complete fictitious bullshit. Right. I'm writing about things that I've actually been through. So it's like, it just, it discredits them to have this juxtaposition where like the stuff I'm talking about actually happened. And they're talking about some bank heist with, you know, with, you know, the, the crime boss and his henchmen. Right. Right. Yeah. You know? Um, so it's a very like, you know, I'm in therapy now. That's one thing that I'm doing. And I'm working on not buying into my own bullshit. Well, let me, let me say something really, really quick. Let me say something really quick, which is knowing, like I've seen your YouTube videos. I've read your book. I've heard a lot of your stories. And I've also like been on the phone with you when you talk to your son or you pull your dog in or you're dealing with your family and like the duality of the two is the most powerful thing. And the fact that you're changing to be there for your family in a way that your father was there for you is the most important part, which is why I think you're doing what you're doing. Yeah, it is. It is. My kids are much more important to me than um, your image, you know, than my career. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people, I think, misunderstand me. They think I'm more narcissistic than I actually am. And it's just the caricature. It's like at a certain point, I I realize like what really makes people upset, you know, like the shirt off, like, you know, it's all a joke to me and to my friends that know me. We're like laughing about it. But people are like, think that like, um, hold up the cover of the book. Right? Or do you still have the but yeah. Hold up waist down. Go to the back. Oh yeah. Sexy Ryan photo. Sexy Ryan in the Look back. Look at my author photo. That's a joke. Yeah, I my wife my like, wife was dude. like, Whoa, who what's this book you're reading? <laughs> um but Ryan, you have to also it's a joke. You get it, right? Yes, but also you have to know, and I don't know if you know this, that you ride this line, but then when you're using you're so fucking out of your mind that the character inhabits you and the people that watch you are only getting that and the joke is gone because you're gone. So, like, you have to remember yeah. that in the narrative. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, I, I, I'm I, very self-aware of it. But, like, with, with what Hunter, with what happened with him, it's like it got to a point where people didn't want Hunter. You know, they wanted Raul Duke. You know, right. they wanted the crazy fucking – and. So he felt this pressure like he always had to put on a show. And like, to be honest, like when I'm out partying and stuff, I kind of feel that kind of pressure sometimes. Like I want to like, like, you know, be the guy. And it's like so immature. It's such a, you know, infantile mentality. Oh, look at all the drugs I can do. It's like, it's not cool. It's been killing people that I care about. It's been nothing but destructive and harmful to my life. Um, 
And so it's like, and there's nothing wrong with telling war stories and like reliving it in that sense, just as long as you're not actually doing the drugs anymore, you know, there's, there's honor in being able to beat the addiction. And that's something that I need to like tell myself through self-talk all the time. It's like, you know, um, it's, it's still interesting. It's more interesting that you survive it. You turn your life around, you know, that's the whole Um, point of this show. I got our, our first house this year. And, you know, when I got out of prison, I've only been out since 2019. Uh, we were on welfare when I got out. In, in that period, I was able to get our first house, you know. And so I'm really proud of that, you know. Like I, like, like I provide for my family. But none of that matters if I don't survive, you know, if I don't make it. And another thing that I've been, like, wrestling with is when I was writing Antiheroes, my new book that I just finished – um, and I'm going to be touring in March. I hope to do an event with you. In yeah, we're looking to do a Dopey uh, Presents Ryan Leone in New York City. So I'm looking forward mm-hmm. to that, too. Yeah. But anyway, keep going. Um, yeah, I'm going to be touring like 30 states, and I hope to see a bunch of, of, of fans. You know, that there's, there's something really important about interacting with people that support you face-to-face, like in, in real life. Like there's, it's an important part of it. Um when I was writing my book, Antiheroes, you know, I was originally supposed to write it with Tony O'Neill. He was in the Brian Jonestown Massacre. He's like one of my favorite writers. Uh, he wrote a book called uh, Six City that everybody should check out. Uh, he's one of my favorite writers. And we originally were supposed to collaborate on Antiheroes and write it together. We worked on it for three years and he's just like, hey, I'm not in a place where I can finish this. I was like, fuck, dude. Like, you know, um, but I had my other books going and stuff. So I like, he was whatever. And then Nick Stahl, who I consider my closest friend, he's like, I'll write it with you. Fuck it. Like he offered, I didn't ask him, he offered. And so he started coming up with some great ideas. We just, um, worked on Florida together and now we're working on a new, um, film together and we're like great creative partners. I love Nick. I want to get him on dopey, man, but he's not coming. Don't come on. He's not coming. This guy's not coming, but our best to to Nick Stahl. Um, He's got a lot of good insight on recovery. But anyway, um, so I just, when I was strung out, I couldn't really make videos anymore, but I felt so guilty about not working that I just started writing, you know? And I wrote an entire book pretty much in like a four-month period. And it's the best thing I've ever written. Nice. Hands down, like by like a long shot. And I've completed a lot of shit. This is my third book. I didn't publish my, the second book, June Gloom. Um, you know, I've I've sold multiple screenplays now, etc. This is the best thing I've written, and so in my mind, I'm like, God damn, is it the heroin that that, that is makes like you good? The creativity, or or and that's been a real tough one because I'm not, I'm just not as creative off of it. I'm just well, not, it's all I about it's, it's about all learning. about a path. It's about learning. It's about learning and it's about diverting the ruts in our, in our neuro fucking pathways. You're used to one path. If you get used to another path, you will carve out a different, you know, ability to write. It's also the same thing as an ability to have a good time. It's an ability to be comfortable in your skin. All those things will come together and Sex. you just need to be patient. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All that Sex, shit. Uh, all these things that you have to kind of relearn. It's just like, I guess 
you know, and, and I definitely don't want to perpetuate that, um, you know, that, that whole thing that drugs make you more creative because I don't think they do. I think what, what in my instance, the reason that, that opiates were um, helping me creatively it's because I have such debilitating ADD and I think it just shut my racing thoughts down. So I think the answer with me is to get on some sort of medication. It doesn't have to be a narcotic that helps me with my ADD because that's what I think it was. You know, and when I'm a- able to finally sit down and focus and I don't have to deal with these racing thoughts competing for my attention, I can actually, um, you know, sit down and write a book, you know, in four months. But the you know, flip side of that is... The flip side of that, because I've seen your your documentary, that's where this all started with medication for the ADD, you know? Right. Like, so then it goes right. full circle and it's like now you're off of everything, you're maintaining, you're on methadone to, to get off of it. And it's like, well, how do I deal with my ADD? And then it's like, I need ADD medication. So I say go slow. My big vote is go slow. Fucking give yourself a chance. And like, I'm not against medication. I'm just against not using it, not as prescribed. You know what I'm saying? I'm I'm against anything that puts you in harm's way. I'm a pro Ryan Leone person, as you know. Well, I appreciate it. I'm a pro dopey person. Um, And you personally, of course, because you have been there for me a lot of times where I'm like, I need help. I'm fucked. Like, I'll call you like in tears. Like, ah, um, what did you think about the documentary? Uh, very, nobody's really seen it. Nobody, you weren't supposed to see it, but uh, whatever. Cat's out of the bag. Uh, it's okay. I told you we could talk about it. But um, that, you know, Seth Ferrante is the new director. We've gone through four directors, uh, I guess because I'm impossible to work with. Well, you've um, used the whole well. time. Yeah. So yeah, it's well, like now I, you're I not using this version, yeah. I've seen a couple versions. This version is by far the best. It's super compelling because you've had a fucking camera on you in so many different stages of your it, life. It, 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 and that that's, you know, people think that my shit's so hyperbolic and they think that, like, this stuff doesn't happen. But you watch the documentary, so much stuff was on film that you're like, oh, my God, I remember that story. That You really have that. You know, you have this. You know, there's like we have five terabytes of footage, and and you know, it's. Uh, I I think yeah, I agree with you. I think this is the best rendition that I've seen of it. Um, I've been talking to Ben Wyman um, from Suicidal Tendencies to do the score, so he's gonna do the score, um, and I think that that's really gonna add something to it. Like, yeah. I love suicidal tendencies, but like to have that frenetic energy. And if you listen to, uh, he was also in a band called the John Dillinger escape plan. And it's very like, it's thrash metal, but he's got a cinematic quality and he's been doing the scores. Like he's been working with Trent Reznor and he's been scoring a lot of movies recently. That's the direction that he's going in. So I was very fortunate to get him. Did you like the reenactments with Chester Bennington's son? From yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. The whole, I mean, he also kind of looks like you. So it's like you do a double take. <laughs> How did, did he have an emotional reaction to playing an addict in this thing? Is he a, an addict? He's not an addict, but you know, his dad was. Yeah, that's you what know, I'm Chester saying. Bennington was an addict. And it's interesting because I've seen this a lot. I see people who had parents that were addicts and it completely turns them off from using. And I hope that that's what my kids 
um, that like they see this footage. That's what the doc. That's the point of the doc. I want them to be so disgusted by drug use that they won't do it. Um, I don't think he reacted emotionally to it. I think you know he's 19 and he's very artistic. He's a great artist. I think that more than anything, he was just stoked to be part of a film project right. like that. You know, you know, we're like filming in a jail cell and shit. Like you know, it's cool. I'll tell you what my real, the craziest reaction to the whole doc is. Cause I kind of have a feeling what's coming up in the next uh, sections of the movie. And the craziest thing about it is that while you're making this doc about your crazy life, you're in your worst relapse you've ever been in. So it's like yeah. each section you kind of crawl out of the primordial ooze and then you <laughs> dive back in and it's like, I want to see where you can cross the bridge over the primordial ooze and look back and not need to jump back in. I think that's one of the reasons that the doc is so fucking compelling, because every time you think you're going to get it together, you're like, fuck it. So, like, we need it to go to the place where you're like, I'm done. You know what I mean? And this is what happened. This is the story. And this is where I'm at now. And you and I want to see you give yourself a break, you know, like because you fucking you've done it. Enough. I need one. Yeah, <laughs> I need one. It's Do you like, know what I'm saying, though? Every time you get out, you're like, fuck it. I'm going back in. Yeah, I know. It's and it's maddening. Um, Karina shared like some quote that she found online and said drugs destroyed my life and I wasn't even the one doing them. And that shit just like right. hit me, man. That's I was the truth. Like, God, like, what am I doing to my family? You know, what am I doing to my, um, you know, you know what like made me tear up the other day? And if you get a chance to remember, go, go look for this. Um, Josh Brolin, do you know who that is? Yeah. Josh Brolin just celebrated eight years sober. And typically when celebrities post, I don't know Josh Brolin or anything, but I don't even know why I was on his page. I'm not like a huge Josh Brolin fan. Um, but for some reason I found myself on his page and I read honestly the most beautiful sobriety date celebration I've ever read in my life. Josh Brolin, it's on his Instagram page. It like, I was like, Whoa, that's like some really like, deep stuff and I needed to read it the day that I read it and I'm sure that somebody hearing me talk about this right now will go to Instagram. Yeah, and I'll read check it, it out. Too. Go on his Instagram, it's like I don't know, it's not the first picture. It's probably like ten things down or something. I think it's like a black and white picture of him when he's younger, right. I wanna say. Um but man, it's it's so beautifully written and it's just so honest and just so yeah, I don't make you tear up, Birch, if you have a soul. I, mean, I have a soul. Are you kidding me? And and I think like <laughs> I think I care about about you be I mean cuz we're friends, but also because I was in a, a similar situation with my family and like it worked out and I'm really like like my life is only great because I have them and because it worked out and because I learned how to enjoy myself sober. If I didn't learn how to enjoy myself and have fun, it wouldn't be worth shit. And I'm telling you, you can, you will do that too. Like I have total faith. Yeah, man. No, I, I do, you know, it, it's been more challenging the I last couple years, especially like when the following gets a little bigger, it's yeah. going to your head a little bit. Yeah. You know, like all these cool things or with all these cool people and you're just like, you know, the, the, and 
all the time, all the time, people are like, you're a name dropper. And it's like, yeah, man, I spent 11 years of my life in a cell collectively. If you add up all the time I've done dreaming about stuff like this, you know, and now it's happening point that I'm proud of, you know, and it's like, if you think that that's arrogance or I'm name dropping, you might want to look at yourself, you know, it might be your own inner failure projecting. Honestly, you know, I'm just proud, you know, it's like in, in real life, so to speak, um, I'd say that probably all my friends would call me a narcissistic, arrogant asshole. But I, in my mind, I think I'm not. But I think all my friends think I am. How so. much <laughs> did this last relapse challenge that? Like, how much do you feel like, holy shit, I've just gotten beat further down than I've ever been beat? It, it humbled me. Yeah. Talk about that before it, you it, go. It, I, I want to hear about that. Um. So, okay, Nick right? Is a huge AA guy, huge AA guy, always spouting AA stuff to me. Well, all right, man. You know, it's like, Nick, I just chopped my own arm off. He's like, pray, pray on it, bro. AA stuff. And so I, and I'm just like, oh man, like I'd be so anti-AA and he's constantly, that's like my best friend. We talk every day. He's constantly doing step stuff. Like, you know, he's like here, here, here. And it's like, kind of like, you know, um, force feeding it to me, so to speak. The first step, the powerlessness, I always thought that I had power. You know, I was always like, okay, well, yeah, like it fucks my life up, but I have power. Like if I wanted to, I really like deep down, I could stop, but I don't want to stop. This last run made me completely realize what that actually means to right. be powerless. Because there were so many nights that I wanted to stop and I couldn't. Right. And I, and I, and I was frustrated. I cried a lot. I'm not a crier, but I cried a lot over the last four months because it was so frustrating. It's like, you know, you want to be a good dad, you know, you want to be a good partner. You want to be a good son and friend. And you, when you're doing drugs like that, you lose that ability, you lose that, that control. And since I acknowledged that first step now, it humbled me to a point where I think I could do AA. And I think I'm in a place where I should do AA. But it's so funny, man. That first step is like so basic, but it's such a, you know, seemingly insurmountable barrier to get over for some people. For me, it was it took years, it took 20 years of addiction to be like, I'm powerless. Right. I have no, I, I have no power, you know. That doesn't excuse or justify drug use. Right. You know, but at least it, it 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 kind of informs that this is a problem that I need to stay proactive about. I need to take preemptive steps to stay away and stay off of drugs. And knowing that I'm powerless, what do I need to do to not put myself in a situation where I'm going to have to test that theory again? You right. Know? It's like staying the hell away from people that are doing it, having structure. Um, and, and working on some of the root issues that they, they get you there in the first place. You know? I never, I never wanted to do 12 step at all. I always was disgusted with the whole thing, but I really needed help. And, and I, I'm not the kind of person that can build like something out of my mind. You know, I need someone to tell me how to do it. And with 12 step with AA, it was like, do this, do this, do this, do this. And you get that if you do it correctly. And I was like, fuck it. 
and I did it and it really worked. So that's, I, I think if you give it, I mean, if you give it a chance, it, it works. I don't like to be like the weird proselytizing person. I just know how bad my life was before I got into it and just doing it. You know, I, what, I never expected to be this kind of a person now. That's all. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's hard for me to like, you're so well adjusted now or like seemingly so you have patience, <laughs> you can listen shit like that. You can dispense good, uh, valuable advice. It's even hard for me to like, look at you and like, be like, Oh yeah, he was shooting heroin or he was smoking crack or whatever. And when I had three years sober, sober, people would say that about me, you know, they'd be like, I can't even imagine you on drugs. So it's like, Right. You know, the further you get away from that, the less that you're like compartmentalized as that person because you, you've evolved past it, you know, but you can't get too confident no. and think that you beat it. You know, you got to always know that this is there and this is something you need to like, if you appreciate your life, that's why gratitude is such an important part of recovery. It's like, if you value your life and you're grateful for the shit you have, you need to put in work to keep it. But I'm also grateful to hear your fucked up stories. I'm grateful to tell, tell my own <laughs> fucked up stories. It's all just pieces of the bigger life, you know, life puzzle or whatever. They're all pieces. It's like you said, when you can tell the stories and, and not do the stories, you know, and we're allowed to do that. You know, um, I really appreciate you coming on and getting fucking raw about this thing. I cannot wait to read Antiheroes and we'll have you back again. I cannot wait to see you in New York and we'll go to a spot and you'll do a reading. We'll do some shit. Have a nice dinner. We have some coffee. Not get fucked yeah. up on your psychedelic cachet and uh, and survive. <laughs> yeah, no, we will. All right, right. Yeah, man. Thank you, man. Thanks. I really do appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me on, bro. All Dude, right. whenever I you want. Have a good time. All right. Well, that was Ryan Leone. Ryan Leone always puts me through the ringer. Howie, as, as someone who's, you know, as we established, a very bona fide normie, right. normie. what do you take away from a, an interview like that? Well, the first thing is I want to hear more about his his deal. Who are you looking at? I'm, oh, I was looking at you Jesus on the screen. Christ, having a conversation. Um, we can't we look at each other through the screens? You're looking at I'm me. I'm going to look at a laptop. I'm looking and I'm looking at, look the, at the iPad. At the iPad and I still like see I, You feel better like this. I don't know. But at my profile, you, you get my big, my big Jewy nose like this. That's what she said. Do you know that um, yeah. recently they accused J.K. Rowling of yeah. being anti-Semitic because of the goblins? Yeah. And I have Fire to think. John Stewart's take on it. And I think he's right. Well, let's, let's unpack that before we unpack Ryan Leone. Okay. Good. No, no, no. no. Let's unpack straight. Ryan Leone. Oh, okay. What do you want to know about him? No, I just don't know enough about. Can his you backstory. imagine injecting no. sixty doses of liquid LSD? I can't imagine any doing anything that he talked about. <laughs> but um, you know what? What's sad is you know he's got this family, and the loving fiance, and the kids, and everything, and the and the father, and it sort of breaks your heart that it's like he can't help himself. But I guess that's that's addiction. no, no, no. You're looking, you're looking at it in in, oh. in in an inverted my father esque kind of way. Oh, okay. You need to look at it as he's alive. Yeah. He survived. He can. Yeah. He can really climb out of the primordial. Ones. I hope so. You know, he's got hope, and he's got. Let's hope he doesn't waste that's his talents. Saying. Yeah, it sounds like if he can get past it like right. that's that's where he wants to be 
but I mean, getting drawn back in sucks. It's like, take it from me because I be living proof as yeah. I kick the truth to the young addict youth. Do you know that, that quote? Britney Spears. No, it's what's oh. a, Who is that? I don't know what you're talking about. It's some old rap Maybe song. Take it from me because I be living proof because I right. kick the truth to the young black youth. You know the that only song? The thing I can think of is Britney Spears Britney or Vanilla Ice or something. Oh, God. It might be Vanilla Ice. It's not Vanilla Ice. Um, you gotta, me, you gotta edit this. We have to edit. It's not Meat Love. Oh. We have to edit this part out. Sure. Um, the point is, as somebody who's been, like, I've never shot 60 doses and I've never done half of the shit that right. Ryan Leone did, but I was down and out and I didn't have my family. Yeah. And, and I know a ton of people who aren't shooting 60 doses or going as far as Ryan, but they, they were at the bottom and they managed to get some recovery. Yeah. And, and he has all the most important things in place, which is love and, and, yeah. and, and hope, you know, but it's, uh, it's deep. That's a That's deep rough. fucking crazy story. I would love to hear the dopey nation's opinion. Last time Ryan Leone on, was on, he was a powder keg of a controversy, a powder keg of controversy. He had a story about like, he, like, I'm, I'm, I'm not even gonna, I'm not even gonna tell the story. Oh, I'll, I'll tell it. But, okay. but, but my friend Ray, Ray, who refuses to ever come on the show again. Right. She were nasty to him. That's well, a complicated. It's a, it's a, it's a sticky wicket. I just made that up. But. but he, Ryan wrote in his book that he sold so many drugs. He, instead of keeping cash in his house, he kept Andy Warhol lithographs and he put them on the wall. And Ray Brown commented that Andy Warhol paintings were super expensive and but he didn't know that Ryan was in Dopey Nation and Ryan said something to Ray. And then there was this huge beef on Dopey Nation between Ryan and Ray and, mm. and like in Dopey Nation, everyone jumped to Ray's side and there was like this huge controversy. Um, oh boy. So now Ryan has made his triumphant return and I yeah. hope Ray does soon too. And um, Ray will be back. You think so? I hope so. You I think Ray will be back? I don't know. I hope I, t- I still I talk to Ray. You want me to call Ray? I, w- I would love a Ray conciliation on the show. I love Ray. Dopey needs Ray. Uh, and maybe Ray needs Dopey too. But yeah. th- all that's not the point. Let's get Ray and Ryan on the show. Oh, that would be a sick Patreon special for sure. I, um, I don't remember what I was talking about. I don't remember the point. Do you remember what the point was? Oh, the point was that Ryan was this controversial figure. Yeah. And for him to come back and be honest and and humbled humbled i think it was something dopey nation right. i can't wait to hear your reaction to that now howie before we go i want to tell you a funny story that happened to me at katz's which mm. um two things that happened like okay. after i was on mark Marin, yep. i returned to katz's hoping that I would be lauded as the returning hero. You're hoping that the people that work at Katz's listen to you on Mac, Mark Marin. Something. I thought I was hoping something heroic would happen. I walk in. The boss didn't. I don't think the, Jake listened. No. To this day. Why does he care? None of the managers listened. No. Uh, but then one of the meat cutters pulled me aside and he goes, "Really good job on Mark Marin." And I nice. was like. It's great. That's and all then, you needed. And then this guy, William, who I believe is Nigerian, who works on the hot dogs. What does that have to do with anything? I'm just painting a picture. He calls me over and he's, what? Should, do I have to admit that he's Nigerian? I don't know. Are you allowed to say that? I think so. Nigerian? I don't know. All right. It's a country in Africa. He yeah. calls me over and he says, uh, 
I'm not going to do my Nigerian accent. He says, he says, David, I will do my, my Nigerian accent is very similar to my Egyptian accent. He says, David, you must teach me how to make a podcast. And I said, oh. I said, how am I going to teach you how to make a podcast? I said, what is this podcast going to be? About? He wants it to be about American politics, <laughs> William. And I said, William, oh, you should do a podcast about about being an immigrant from Nigeria. You should meat. do a podcast about working at Katz's. Yeah, you should do a podcast about something you know. But uh, but I was kind of hard on William, to be honest with you. Mm. I was like, William, Google how to make a podcast watch a YouTube video, learn something, record something, then bring it to me and I'm happy to help you. But like, I think it's really funny. <laughs> he's, he's been asking me how to make a podcast forever. I was like, dude, just fucking get, take your phone out. Use, use, uh, use, um, voice memo. You right. can make a fine podcast on your phone. Yeah. You don't need all the bells and whistles. American politics. You think? Yeah. Or the, or the politics of cats is. Well, that could be, that's the podcast. Maybe that's what it was. Waiting to come. Coming coming soon is the podcast. Um, anything else you got out of this Ryan Leone business? I definitely want to hear more. I want to, I want to read the book. I want to see the doc. I've been, since Howie's been here, one of, I didn't make any real New Year's resolutions. Okay. But I decided that I wasn't organized enough. Right. So I've been working on this book. Look at this. You see yeah. this book? I saw it. It's beautiful. And it's all these notes and, and journaling. I've been journaling. Whoa. The journaling thing is I talked to this guy in the Dopey Nation who journals. He said yeah. every day he writes seven things he did, yep. seven things he saw. He writes one thing he heard and he doodles something he saw. And I've been doing that. And I find that like maybe my brain is addled and, and whatever. I don't remember what I've seen in the day. I like remember hmm. an Instagram picture. That's yeah. how fucked up my brain is. But like today, it's just going to be you. I'm okay. going to doodle you. It's going to be seven me? things that we did. I don't know if you could say that either. What, doodled you? I, I, mean, I think that's fine. All right. Um, YouTube. What was so I get- that's good. That's cool. That's a good, that's a very therapeutic exercise. Very cathartic. I think it's good. I recommend, I recommend journaling. And then, and, and, oh yeah. What was your take on, uh, John Stewart's JK Rowling, uh, goblin anti-Semitic rap? My, my take on his take or my take on what she said or what she did. Cause they're two different things. Did you just want to say that's what she said? (laughs) No, 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 I didn't. Are you sure? Yeah. Because I, I think his take was sort of like a, it was kind of like a half joke. I didn't see his take because all I know yeah, is I that, that the goblins yeah. in uh, Harry Potter look like me. They're slapped they, yamaka. They, it, it's very, it's like it's very happening in that movie. And I watched, yeah. it, I was like, this hurts. This, it's like looking in a distorted. You mirror. thought that on your own without yes. even. Oh, interesting. And I never, I never even thought about that. So, I just, so what I was his take? I think he basically brought up that point that it was the bankers. Yes. Right. And that the Jewy fucking goblin bankers. But what I, and maybe I'm confused because I didn't read the books because they're, what's the word? Children's books? Boring. They're not boring. Anyway, I mean, come on. This morning, Linda asked if you read more than you, 10 when's pages the last long. Time, Yeah, when's the last time you read a book at I'm all? I'm not reading a book. What, are they like 500 pages, pages each? No, but just, just right, we don't need to hear. We don't need okay. to hear about why you don't read books. <laughs> why don't read books? What I'm, the, the. What's the, the word? Thing, the thing, boring. <laughs> boring. The thing that confuses me. I love the movies. The books are much better. She didn't make the movies. She didn't that make the That is a really goblins. good point. 
That is a really good now, point. I, I'm assuming she has to approve everything. In the mo- in the books, they don't write. They look like serious Jews they look with like big Jews. nose, and they right. slap the yarmulke. They don't. It doesn't look. She doesn't but are write the books, that. Aren't the books illustrated? Minimally, no, no. So I. I mean, obviously, she had to approve. That's everything. a great point. So the filmmaker is the anti-Semite, right? And which, what, which would be Chris Columbus, which is a shame because I'm a huge Chris. Columbus I think fan. he's a noted anti-Semite. I think he goes to <laughs> anti-Semitic uh, meetings with Steve O. I hope not. I think it's possible. What, no. what, what did you like of his? Chris Columbus? Yeah. I don't know that I've seen a film of his that I don't like. Home Alone is one of my favorite movies. That was what else? Him. Home Alone two. What else? Um. Uh, what what else did he do? That's enough. Did he do Babysitters Club? I don't. He wrote know. Goonie, uh, not Goonies, Gremlins. He wrote Gremlins. Yeah, he wrote Gremlins. No, did was, he? Yeah, which was produced by Steven, Steven Spielberg. Spielberg. So he's got to get along with Jewish people. That's right. So yeah. I wonder who the anti semite. No, um. Anyway, is. but the 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 uh. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I. I mean, it's it's it's, it's accurate. It's an interesting like take on it. But I'm not sure that. I don't know. I just, I don't, I can't rationalize people who are like anti-Semitic. Like, I don't get why anyone would care. But you're from plain, you're from Queens. Yeah, but I don't care about anyone's, I don't care. I don't know, I can't imagine someone caring. Listen, you Like, I'm going to make a bank scene and there have to, it's very important that the tellers look like Jews. Like, who who the fuck would think of that? Listen. Isn't it possible that someone just... No, it's a world of hate, hatred. It's a world of hatred. It's mm. a world of, and everyone hates and fears the Jews. Didn't you learn anything growing up? That's all I learned growing up. I don't know. I don't get it. No, I I, I, it. I, I'm actually with you on this thing, but the goblins did, the goblins did look like uh, Jewish caricatures. And, um, and I was shocked when I saw the, uh, the John Stewart thing, because he double backed, right? In his, in his, whatever hot take yeah. he wound up doubling back and saying he didn't think jk rowling was an anti-semite yeah because i think well i think it was more of a joke like i think right. he was kind of th- coming from the same place like right. it's a bit it's a little too coincidental that they have these features and their bankers right but to me it almost seems like a, the, the second some, i saw harry potter's and the sorcerer's stone you have that on heroin in my loft bed in 2000 and one probably mm. and i remember how much i didn't want to enjoy it and then how much i loved it mm. and the music and the snow falling and i'm high It'll, and then i see the goblins and i'm like fuck they it's it they're talking the about jews. my big jew nose and, and they're jews and yes i, I they, felt they it didn't talk about their their features at all did they in the no but it spoke to me because i have such an enormous nose so like i'm very sensitive to seeing enorm enormous noses goblins. You know, not goblins, enormous noses. And also just being on this YouTube thing, you can see how my nose got smashed in. Do you see that? Do you ever hear the story about how my nose got smashed in? No. Well, I was working at MTV and I I told this story years ago on Dopey, but what the hell? I'll tell it again. I told I I was working at MTV too, right? It was after I got fired from Burley Bear. And I was living on 24th Street, and my neighbor across the hall was selling drugs out of a safe in my apartment. And my neighbor at the end of the hall was an elderly Spanish couple with a son who was in the military. Mm -hmm. And every night, this is just the piece of shit that I am, every night I would go to bed 
I would I would watch a VHS tape of something. It was probably like a three hour long Simpsons VHS that I would watch, but my VCR was broken. So when the VHS tape would end, rather than just stopping, rewinding and, and stopping, it would play static really loudly, right? And just and, let it run. And just for the rest of the night, for, for six hours. <laughs> and I would be passed out on heroin and pills in my loft bed. And the poor, you know, PTSD Marine guy mm-hmm. next door would bang on the wall and I wouldn't hear. And in the morning, like he would see me, he'd be like, you got to shut your fucking TV up, blah, blah, blah. And then one day I'm in my bed or I'm getting high or I'm hanging out, whatever I might've been doing. And there's a crazy knock at the door and it's the old lady from down the hall. And she calls me um, because her husband had fallen. I think he was dying and he fell out of bed and, and, you know, the son wasn't there. Who knows what was, maybe the son was an alcoholic. Who knows what was up with the son? And they call me and I run down to the, to the apartment and, and the man is, is uh, on the floor next to the bed and I'm a mess, but still I'm, you know, cute. I'm, I'm a noble. No, oh, I, oh, okay. I get down. I pick him up in my arms. I cradle the old man. I pick him up and I put him down in the bed and she's like, thank you, mijo. You're my hero. And I'm like, you know, it's, it's what we do. Right. And, and, and the next, maybe two hours later, there's a knock at my door. I don't see him. He has a chair. He hits me in the face with the chair. What? I fall back in. I see it's the sun running, running away. I, fa- I fall backward. I close the door. Uh-huh. I sit down on my couch. I, I, I have a bunch of heroin. I make the biggest shot I can make because I'm, in, I'm bleeding. You know what I mean? Like I have a black eye. Like he just smashed me with a chair. I, I and I don't I don't do what Ryan Leone did. I didn't right. I didn't break the lock off this guy. What, what was yeah. the expression he used? He uh, uh, I don't remember. It was a I good, it was yeah, a good it was expression. But uh, I didn't do any of that. I closed right. the door. I went and sat on my couch. I took the biggest shot I could do, and it, it didn't hit me. Like I was just like whatever. It barely hit me, and I cried, like because it was so scary and Why painful. Why did he hit you? I think he resented me that I was there for his father and he wasn't. But then what happened after? Did you call no, the police? Nothing, or? No, nothing, nothing. Nothing. Just let him get away with it? Yes. Nothing. Oh, I would have burned his house down. I wound With up, the family inside. I wound up kind of burning my own house down. I, I, that's when I burnt, my couch <laughs> burned and I, I threw I threw my burning couch out you the window. You hit the wrong person. And then I went to Florida and then that was it. I, I, I lost the apartment right then. Oh, I think I would have killed his family. Well, maybe you still can. I'm sure I'm sure he's out there well, somewhere. Give me his address. It's 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 321 <laughs> West 24th Street. And I'm sure uh, apartment 9F. <laughs> or no, 14F. Uh, I'm sure you think I think they want that out there probably. Well, he shouldn't he shouldn't have broken. I'm sure they're all dead. I'm sure they're all dead. The parents are definitely dead. We're talking about 25 years ago and they were old. The son is probably an old man. Probably somebody else is cradling him right now, putting him into his bed. I can't believe. Did you ever see him again after that? Never saw him again. That's very. But my nose is all will, will never so be the same. That's what happened. That's what. That's what happened. Huh. Well, that's that's great. Anyway, Dopey Nation, uh, it's been real, Howie. Thank you for 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 hanging out. This has been a cool yeah. YouTube experiment. I'm also interested, uh, Dopey Nation, what you think about the YouTube. People have been begging me for YouTube episodes, so we finally did one. Write us an email at dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Let me know what you think. 
stay strong, everybody. Howie, thank you again. Uh, stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. One, two, one, two, three, four. Well, I want to take a walk around the world. I Watch his aeroplane.